Welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm Nicole North and I'm your host. This season on At The Whiteboard, we're focusing on everything leadership, learning, and development. We have a ton of great guests ready to share their knowledge. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Hello and welcome to At The Whiteboard. I am your host, Nicole North, and I am joined by the movie star-like Carolyn Ellis today. She looks so beautiful on the Zoom call with beautiful, beautiful lighting. How are you today? I am great. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Uh, It is my pleasure. And so I thought I would start off by a little, how did we meet? Oh, let's do that. (laughs) So... Many years ago, I was a member of a private women's club in downtown Toronto, and I met you there, and you were doing the most interesting things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I was I was the person with all the colorful markers, and um, yeah, it was so delightful to have you in my Learn to Doodle workshop that I did there, yeah. where I was teaching people the essentials of how to make marks and make meaning from simple doodles as a way to retain information, recall information, and also explain your, you know, your story, your problem. And uh, yeah, visual thinking is a really great uh, tool that's in my toolkit. And uh, I love it. (laughs) I love teaching people how to do it. And it was so yeah, it was so nice to cross paths with you there because nothing like having a room full of wonderful women and just markers and music and big flip charts and great food and conversation. Absolutely. And I definitely spent many years and I would love to get back to it. I should actually, I know that I saved all of those materials because Mm. I had great joy in doing it. I found it really, really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, Carolyn. All right. Uh, well, I, um, I'm based here in Toronto. Uh, BrilliantSmastery.com is my uh, business. And uh, basically, I'm a, a consultant and a coach and a facilitator. So visual tools are a lot of the methodologies that I use with my clients. And my clients are typically uh, organizations who are going through complex change. They might have some team performance or leadership development challenges. And um, so what I'm, I'm doing with them is really trying to help organizations navigate their, their way through some of these challenges in a way that's more collaborative, that's innovative, and that leaves people at the end of the day feeling like they have each other's back and that they can do this job well together. That's so wonderful. And when one of the big reasons uh, that I wanted you on the podcast is you are now a published author. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> How does that feel? Uh, it feels pretty great, actually. Uh, yeah, my 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 book, uh, "Lead Conversations That Count: How Busy Managers Run Great Conversations," just came out in July. But I got to tell you, Nicole, uh, you may not know this, but it's actually this is my second time as a published author. <gasps> what? Wow. Yes. Uh, yes. Way back in, I think it was two thousand and seven ish or nine. I um. I wrote a book in a very different field. I was a coach in the divorce and separation field at that time. And I wrote, my first book was called The Seven Pitfalls of Single Parenting, What to Avoid to Help Your Children Thrive After Divorce. So I appreciate to your, you know, to your listeners that this might sound like what, like two totally different, and they're different contexts. 
But the thing that's common between the two of them is you're somebody who's like under a lot of stress, you know, you're going to be making mistakes. You probably already are aware of mistakes that you've made and you just want to do a better job, but you don't have a lot of time. So my idea is go grab a copy of this book, go, you know, lock yourself in a broom closet, read a chapter for 10 minutes and come out with a different mindset with a clear idea of what you can do differently to, um, you know, really reflect the values and, you know, not make a mess of things, which I know certainly when I wrote my first book, I was very concerned. I had three young kids. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to scar them for life if I don't do this well. And I was just frustrated that there was no clear articulation of that. I was kind of pulling it from all sorts of different places. So um, in the last several years, I've been working more in, in organizational work and uh, doing facilitation and graphic recording as part of that. And I was certainly seeing some dynamics in the workplace where people were feeling that pressure and that stress and making choices and how they handled each other or spoke to each other or organized their time together. Or I was like, what the heck? I think there's better ways to do this. So, yeah, and I think especially in these last couple of years with the, the pandemic and everything, it's really put much more pressure on everybody across the board, but we really, I think the stakes are higher now for us to do a better job of the quality. How do we maintain and nurture the quality of relationships that we have and how do we meet? So this is, uh, this was part of my burning desire to write this latest book, which was like, we got to do better at this because I mean, here's, here's the bottom line for me. Uh, my background is actually in environmental studies, my undergrad, and I did a master's in public policy at Harvard. And so big picture systemic change is kind of just part of my outlook. And I think as a society, we have some really significant, complex, challenging problems. And if we can't learn to talk and listen to each other, especially people who might have different perspectives or different priorities, if we can't learn how to do that better, we're really in serious trouble. I mean, we're already in serious trouble, but we're not heading down a good path if we can't pull ourselves back and learn how to step back, not take things personally, um, not let things become instantly polarized and try to find some level of connection, appreciation and finding some middle ground with each other so that we can then together work on what's, what's a good response to this challenge. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've, I know that with my clients, all everyone wants to know is how can I lead people better in a hybrid world? How can I lead oh. my remote teams better? How can I do all of that better? And at the end of the day, it's how you communicate with people. Yeah. And as I've been saying, the virtual world, it takes a lot more effort. It's oh my gosh. Harder <laughs> to have conversations like yes. this. It's not natural. It's, it's unnatural. It, it feels very different. I mean, even, even I was just talking to some friends the other day and even just to meet each other and not sort of give each other a hug automatically or to have people come into your house now, Hey, we can do that, but you're not shaking hands or getting close. I just said, I feel so rude, you know, in that, you know, we're just, we're still in that place of awkwardness with all of this, but, you know, to tell you the truth, Nicole, I, I had a manuscript for this book ready to go to an editor back at the beginning of March, 2020. And so I was like, I, so I was just about to you know, sign on. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and I was like, oh gosh, 
this is a whole different kettle of fish. So a lot of my thinking and my, my strategies have been really designed for the in-person experience. And I, I realized very quickly because I used to do a lot of work with people virtually and coaching. And so like we wouldn't even see each other. It was all back in the olden days when people used to use the telephone. <laughs> um, I'm dating myself, I know. But I had to, so, so, the, the, so the year 2020, I really, I, I was like, why are people doing such a horrible job of virtual? Like it's, it's not a physical space. It's still an energetic space. And we're not treating it like that. We're treating it like a, like a window. We're just going to cram as much of our content in there. And we're not going to let you talk about anything because we have so much information we need to tell you. And then we, I think we, we, we learned over the course of it that we need to do a better job of designing those meetings differently. It's, it's not about the processes and checking off the boxes. It's about what's, how are you, are you listening to the people in the room, even if they're not in the room? Are you leaving space for them to interact with each other and not just have you be the sort of the referee of how, who gets to talk when? How do we design that differently? So that, so I, throughout the book, I've, I've got tips that are specific to how do you do this virtually? Of course, now we're in this situation where it's still evolving and hybrid is going to be the, the new norm. So you'll have both. And you're absolutely right. So if you're, you know, I'm thinking particularly of those managers who are maybe up and coming, they maybe haven't had a lot of great role models or training yet or experience. They're suit, they got that promotion because they're great at the tech skills, but not the people skills so much or, oh, like conflict in groups, like, yikes. So it's those people I'm thinking of who really are at the crux of helping organizations and helping us to solve this problem of people feeling disconnected, people feeling disengaged with their work. And um, so, and, and to be able to do that in a hybrid environment, it's a lot. Like you have to think of some different structures to support that because it's, we're so far away from those days where it was like, where's the meeting? Oh, I don't have the agenda. Oh, I'll just wing it. You can't do that when you're working in this kind of a mixed channel of participation environment, can you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so the book is called Lead Conversations That Count. What, what yes. does that mean to you? Yes. What does that mean? What, what does Ooh. a conversation, how, how does a conversation count or not count? Mm, yeah. Well, um, I, I define it more closely in the book, but essentially how, leading a conversation that count is one that has lasting impact on the people who are there, where people feel heard and they feel eager to have that next conversation. So, um, so having that, it's a really, it's an experiential quality where people are really feeling that they are all, you know, they've had each other's back, they're aligned in terms of purpose, and they know that when there's disagreement and there will be conflict and disagreement as there should be, because otherwise everybody's all in group think, that, that you have some ways of coping with that with each other. And of course, COUNT is, uh, it's an acronym for a five-part process that I suggest managers take themselves through in about 10 minutes before they go to that meeting so that they're really able to be as present and as confident and as aware as possible. I think, I think one of the biggest, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. We're, like One of the origins of this book was having been in a lot of rooms and you know whether it was participating in or facilitating or graphically recording these meetings 
it's kind of an amalgamation of a lot of these experiences, but this one in particular really jumped out for me where um, it was an organization, global company, and they had all their top leaders from around the world in this room for two days. And the big problem they were trying to solve was employee engagement very risk averse, people weren't really stepping forward, they just couldn't really seem to spark the fire in their and their senior leaders were being asked, how do we solve this? So they had some breakout groups. And there's one senior leader who had a group of, you know, a couple dozen people and he's like, want to hear from you, we're going to brainstorm this out, you know, you've seen all the data here, we've got it, you know, you understand this, so let's hear from you. And it's, I'm like, this is great. So a few people chip in some comments. And then a woman asked a question about I don't understand why we're not more involved in strategic planning. It seems like if we knew more about that process and had a voice there, it would be helpful for us in answering this question. And this particular senior leader just did not understand the response and didn't appreciate it either. And he, and this person, this woman was shut down hard in front of everybody. And in an instant, people went quiet. They started to look at the floor. It was awkward. And I was like, how ironic that we're trying to solve the problem of employee engagement. And this could be one of the reasons why people aren't willing to step forward. So I thought, how can this happen? And I realized, you know, sometimes, you know, there are some tools that I could see as a, facil as a trained facilitator and coach that, you know, in organizations, they may not have. And they probably don't have the time to go off and do that stuff. But it's like, what are some of these seeds of ideas of how you take responsibility for how you show up in a room and how you handle those interactions with people that can be done in a more constructive and collaborative way? So can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, I can because yes, I, I, was you can. Just, I was just facilitating yesterday a team of managers and we were talking about uh, having conversations about accountability. And... Ah. They, they just, every single, not every single one of them, a huge proportion of them were fearful about having those types of conversations. They were uncomfortable. They immediately assumed that having an accountability conversation meant conflict. Um, they, yeah. they were just filled with discomfort around the topic and how to approach it. And so I feel this is such a, a yeah. valuable thing for people. Yeah, I, I think in, like it's so interesting, isn't it, how some of these issues in the professional level can really trigger these old stories or wounds of, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. You know, like, is it a parent, like, you're going to get grounded or you're, you know, your Nintendo's going to be taken away because you've done so Like, we have all these old, you know, stories that are still kind of active. And I think when we're so under stress, our ability to um, really cope with the ups and downs of the day are, are, are reduced. So we kind of go to that, like, oh, no, I don't want to talk. It's so very conflict averse or, or, or reluctant and willing to step over things that really need to be addressed because, and then, you know, and then they, they just snowball, right? So that divergence, so people get resentful because so-and-so is not pulling their weight and nobody's telling them and they have to pick up the slack. And then all of a sudden you have a whole host of issues. It's, you know, it's, it's like termites in your house. Exactly. I think, you know, I think it was Brene Brown who said like, once, once you see uh, the evidence of the termites, it's too late. They're already in the walls and they've eaten away a lot of your foundation. Yes. And it again, speaks to me that 
communication and conversations are the foundation of leadership. Exactly. Those are conversations uh, about uh, building relationships, right? The only way you can start to have these deeper conversations is to ask questions and learn how to interact with people in a way that allows you to build rapport with them and and get to know them as a human. I, I certainly can't say, Carolyn, you didn't meet my expectations um, until I really understand Carolyn and I really understand what you know and mm. what you don't know. Yeah. Um, and I think people either skip the relationship building and mm. go right to criticizing or they skip the positive reinforcement, uh, giving mm. people positive feedback about what they do. Mm. And so it's no wonder when they have to have tough conversations. Yeah. And, and there's the step of saying, here's the expectations before you even start to apply them and maybe have, there's a little bit of dialogue around that and say, well, you know what? That sounds great. I don't understand what you mean by this, or that feels like too much for me in the, in the next quarter to take on. Can we renegotiate that? So having even in those expectations that they're not, you know, handed down from on high from your brain, but how do you open up and have a dialogue and say, you know, here's what, here's what I'm proposing and what's going to be needed any response, any feedback. So I think the more we open up space for people to contribute to something, the more they're going to be invested in its success later on. So we can't, you know, if, we're, if we cut them out in the beginning, uh, why are we surprised when later on we're like, oh, they're disengaged. They didn't really show up. Well, did you, did you ask them any questions, as you said? Did you invite any response? Were you willing to be open to feedback yourself? Uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> big uh oh, big uh oh, and I mean again that that's where this all goes in circles, right? Managers aren't some managers aren't great at receiving feedback, and therefore they're also fearful of giving feedback because they're like, oh, people might respond oh. the way that I respond when I get feedback. Right. I don't like it. That's uh, right. There's a huge pathway there to getting a a manager from self-awareness to relationship building to uh, setting expectation conversations. Mm -hmm. It it really, it reiterates to me more and more, it is the the managers, one of their only skills is how they talk about things to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, talk about what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do it, why it's important to the organization, what's going to change. Like it just, everything is a conversation. All you do is talk as a manager. Well, and here's the other piece though, too. Um, Also (laughs) what, how you show up and what you role model speaks volumes, whether you're saying anything or not. So sometimes, you know, there's the person who will talk but they're not walking their talk. So that's, I think, a, another big problem is, and sometimes people over talk, right? Because like they're nervous. And I mean, let's face it, you might've been the colleague of these people that you're now managing and you're sort of up you know, in front of that metaphorical room. And there's like, oh my gosh, my performance is like right out there now. I can't hide anymore. So it's just, you know, it's, it's an uncomfortable place to be, especially if you don't maybe have that confidence or you know you need to develop some skills or you haven't had that opportunity yet. It's a big transition point, right? So there's, there's how you show up. And that's why the, you know, the first step in the count model is about calibrate. And calibrate is really about how do you take a look at yourself first? 
you know, thinking about your mindset, what, you know, what do you need to leave outside of that meeting room? So you're not walking into running that next conversation with a whole bunch of baggage from, you know, your last five sessions that you never gave people feedback about. So you just show up even on the Zoom call and they're like, "Uh oh, somebody's not in a good mood. You didn't even say a thing, but they can tell, right? So I always say that managers are under the microscope. Yes. Right. Like, you know, as a manager, you have this huge responsibility. Yeah. You, you are ultimately caring for people's livelihood. Yeah. You are, you are responsible for their financial success, for their Mm -hmm. career success. That is a big job. So it is no wonder that, uh, individuals look to their managers with a microscope. How do you do things? How do you handle yeah. things? Yeah, How do you show up. Mm-hmm. What's your expression uh, when you load onto the Zoom call? Is you know your hand dug mm-hmm. into your hair and you're you know absolutely exasperated, or are yeah. you open and excited to see your team member? Right. Right? There's there's two issues I think that really intersect here. Um, so the manager is such a determinant of engagement. So some of the studies say that, you know, 70% of the people who leave an organization, you know, it's, it's because they don't like the manager so much. And when you look at manager engagement, it's about 35% of managers themselves are not even engaged in their jobs. So that's, that's rocky. And then managers are the ones who are often leading those meetings. And so if we just look at that intersection with meetings and managers, who loves going to a meeting? You know, they're very costly. A lot of people think they're unproductive. And it's just like, who wants to get excited to get to the next one when they're not well run? So we, we have a, we've, we've got a meeting culture problem generally. And then you overlay that with managers who might not be fully engaged, who are really having a big impact on their people. It's a vulnerable point in an organization. So I really wanted to offer this, this, framework of a a conversation that counts to that specific part, that really critical link in the organization to help strengthen that. And to, because I I mean, I don't think anybody goes to work, obviously thinking, well, I'm just going to be a jerk today, or I'm going to be a misinformed person. I mean, everybody, you know, we assume good intention, but, but there's not clear roadmaps. And because sometimes we've just been too busy trying to react to change to the really lay out the good roadmaps and design them together. I was just reading um, a book by Jocko Willink. He's a Navy SEAL. Mm. And I'm trying to remember, it's called Leadership Strategy and Tactics. And he talked about the idea that um, a woodworker, um, that you know, all pieces of pine are the same but yet each individual piece of wood is fundamentally different and you need to adapt how you interact and work with that Mm -hmm. piece of wood, even Mm -hmm. though pine as a group is pine. Uh, But then there's also all these different other types of woods. And then within those woods, you've got to manage around the knots that are in them or the the Mm -hmm. certain features that are in that wood. And I think that's so interesting with respect to how we, that's why it's hard to manage people because they're not all pine. No, they're not. Not only are they, you know, just different pieces of pine. Now there's also maple and walnut. 
you know. And, yeah. And, and I mean, this goes right into the whole conversation about diversity and inclusion and how are we creating a sense of belonging of people who are in our organization? And are we, so like I always say, like the wisdom is in the room. <laughs> it's, it's not in, in, in the manager, like the, the manager's wisdom is how they can unlock the fullest potential and contribution of their team, I think. So, so yeah, so it's, it can't be a one size fits all. And I think particularly, you know, in light of some of the, again, you know, the pandemic revealed a lot of the real systemic uh, exclusions and pressures in different parts of our society, which is a great thing. So we can really see that and we need to address it in a way that's meaningful and sustained. So yeah, you know, not, you're not just all dealing with one uniform piece of pine. <laughs> yes. And I think you are exactly right as well. And it's something that I like continuing to reiterate is that uh, communications issues and bad meetings and difficulty having accountability conversations and conversations of all kinds have always been there and mm-hmm. zoom and, <laughs> and, and the, the complexities and the uh, people's reactions to change and people's, you know, resilience that's now so low after two years of just being pounded with all kinds of new things that we've never been exposed to. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's no wonder things have kind of imploded. I mean, I don't know how many conversations a day I have about people feeling like they're in a toxic workplace or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that they, they have, they're not uh, feeling psychologically safe. And again, oh, yeah. I think those were all there before they've just floated to the surface, right? This, the right. video calling, the, the, the additional pressures have just highlighted them so much. Yeah. What? Yeah, I agree with you. Well, I was just going to add to that, that I think perhaps because of the pandemic and a lot of the reflection that people have been doing, you know, some people are like, actually, I'm out of this job. You know, I don't want to be doing it all. So I think perhaps that's in, in some way also contributed to people being more sensitive and being more willing to name it and to try to change it. Cause until we name these things, like why will anything change? <laughs> you know, we like, especially like when you've got that responsibility of leading your team as you know manager or senior director, like whatever it is, like it has to start with you. It has to start with you. And if you're, if you're not feeling that you're able to do it, well then, you know, you know, you, you need to have some other kind of conversation about, uh, about, uh, you know, is this the right time and place for you to be offering? Because that, like, you're really the engine energetically that drives the whole system that sustains your whole team. And um, so it's important that you, you know, be, be up for that. So yeah. who needs to read this book right away? I mean, it sounds to me like basically everyone on the planet. <laughs> Okay, well, yes, no, but I, I think really in terms of I think people who um, it would speak to and, you know, we should grab it like right away. Definitely, I think people who are, you know, managers, uh, emerging leaders, people who who really can self identify and say, you know what, I don't feel really comfortable with this. I'm good with the, the subject matter expertise that I've got. I've got the tech skills, but you know, I don't know how to read a room. I don't know how to tell so-and-so to stop dominating the conversation all the time. So people who really see that that next level of their, of their 
growth as a professional needs to be more on the the social skills, the you know sort of uh, em- empathy and communication. They would be really well served to you know to, to grab a copy of this, you know. And how what will what will they come out with? How will they be coming out of finishing that book? Because I always think of, you know, when I read an amazing business book, I yeah. say, you know, who am I now having read yes. this book? It's like right. sometimes I'm maybe marginally changed and sometimes I'm fundamentally changed. Yes. Yeah. It's a great question. And one of my big philosophies has always been, um, you know, information without action is useless. It's interesting, but, you know, we already have enough stuff in our brains. We have enough stuff in our houses. Like I, I really don't want this book to add more clutter to anybody's like physical bookshelf, their mental bookshelf, their bandwidth. No. So it's very practical. So I think what people will come out with is a a, a clear understanding of a process by which they can prepare themselves using this count roadmap. That's, that's part of the book. And there's an example, how you fill it out to really take them through the various stages so that when, when you start the meeting, you are so grounded and solid within yourself and prepared not just to how how you want to run that meeting but also be prepared to be flexible because as you know the best laid plans sometimes especially when you're working in a virtual or a hybrid environment you need to shift in an instant so I think it'll give you a much more expanded range of how you can deal with a group and really meeting your group where they are not where you on your own head think that they should be in that particular you know on that particular issue for that particular subject so, you know, more confidence, more clarity. And I, I'm hoping also some normalization perhaps of some of the struggles that they might be feeling. Like it's, it's not your fault because people don't really get taught this very well. You know, how do you learn this? A lot of times people when, you know, our, our, role, our, our, our role models, our, our learned experience, our lived experience has been, you know, back in grade one, show and tell time, you know, you up in the room talking about something. And you know, we're that's this is light years beyond that. I think the speed of life is different, the complexity of what we have to work on is different. And the range and the diversity and the you know the brilliance of the people that we work with is also so much richer than than it has probably ever been before. So really to feel that sense of like, oh, I think I can do this, rather than like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm an imposter, I probably can't do this. Love it. What's what's one secret tip book that you can share with our audience oh. free with purchase oh free with purchase. okay it's free with okay. purchase but it's going to drive them to to go and grab this book yeah one secret tip or habit yeah I think you know one of the most important things and just if you could like you know stick this on a sticky note is the first person you need to lead is yourself it always has to come back to if you're if you're in that place of some level of humility and self-awareness is you you need to do some work with yourself so just being honest about I feel stuck who can I ask for support being honest about I'm feeling ticked off Ooh, can I address that can I just park that for now like is that about me like just because when you know, there's a lot of performance and there can be a lot of ego when you have that responsibility. And that, and I think people are just done with that. They're done with, because, you know, ego performance issues and having to work for somebody who needs those to be fed is, is a quick, 
a quick path to the exit door. So lead yourself first and be self-reflective. Wonderful. I think that I, I love, I love when we're aligned on the same things. I, I feel Hi. very, very much the same yeah. uh, and certainly something, you know, I who typically have great resilience and, you know, agility for change. Uh, you know, I've also had that kind of tough year. And so I oh. now have to step back and pause and say, Ooh, what's, what's giving me that, that, the, the, the X. What's That's right. The X. What's giving yeah. me the ick right now? What's what's why do I have a pit in my stomach about that conversation or about what I have to do and 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 digging into that? And once we dig into that and can be you know vulnerable with it and right. say, hey, I'm I'm uncomfortable with this conversation because I think you're fantastic and I I don't want to have to give you critical feedback, but here we are, right? So yeah, but we, but like, I, I I care and respect you enough to tell you the truth. And me not telling you the truth is not serving you. And that is not a value for me. My commitment is to you, to, for me to get over my discomfort, to tell you the truth and offer some support for you to move through this, right? That is a brilliant culmination of something that I uh, have been focused on. And that is, if you want to have a culture of grace and psychological safety and, and you know these great cultures that people are dreaming about, in this, this world, uh, then secondly, um, pairing that with the idea of, of accountability conversations. Mm -hmm. Yes. Accountability conversations, I think are great. And maybe, maybe the word accountability has gotten a bad rap somehow, because it's just like some, uh, like a bit of a jargon or something. But I really think that, you know, accountability is like, are we doing what we said we would? And if we're not, Let's just renegotiate, right? It's like you're you're not going to get grounded. You you may you may have some consequences, but it, you know the accountability is that is such an erosion of trust. And you talk about psychological safety. I mean, it's a slightly different dynamic. But if you if you feel that people aren't pulling their weight or they're cost, costing you more time and effort to pick up the balls that they're dropping all the time, and it's not getting addressed, that that can be very corrosive in a culture, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what is next on the horizon for you? Mm. Well, I'm really excited because I have a number of training programs um, lined up for people to support them with leading conversations that count in their organization. So that's a combination of uh, working with groups and also uh, doing some coaching as well to support individual leaders and teams to do that. I'm also noodling on, it won't happen this year, but on the next book, but um, that will be, maybe we'll have to have another conversation in maybe a year's time about that, <laughs> but yes. certainly uh, lots kicking around up here in the old noggin um, about how, you know, these are such interesting times that we live in. And I know like everyone's talk about VUCA and, you know, needing to be agile and resilient. It's almost like you hear it so much and you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I think, I think it's like, it's game on time now, right? For, for us as individuals, for us as organizations, for us as a planet, it's game on, like, let's go, let's, let's, you know, go big or go home here. We need to bring our best selves and our best thinking together. Um, and, and we need to make that happen quickly. Absolutely. And so where can people find lead conversations that count? Hmm. Where can they find you? Um, yeah. Because you are someone that everyone should know. 
Oh, thank you. Uh, well, if people are interested, uh, you can pick up the book at, you know, an amazon.com.ca, like the online uh, retailers. It's also available at leadconversationsthatcount.com. That's also a place that you can reach me or you can um, pop in at brilliancemastery.com and schedule a call. I'd be happy to connect. That is amazing. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to explore something that I am very passionate about. I believe that my copy should be in my mailbox. It should be there, Nicole. (laughs) So I am going to, um, I am just finishing up my book and I can't wait um, to to read this next. And so I would love to maybe even have a follow-up conversation once I've had read it as well. And we can dialogue. I would love to. I would love to. Absolutely. Carolyn, uh, this episode will be the season opener for After Whiteboard this year. And perhaps we will close it with kind of a, 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 a closeout of the year as well. I would love to love it. make that happen. Thank you awesome. so much for your time. I know our audience is going to love it and I can't wait for them to get a hold of this content. Uh, I appreciate you so much. Oh, likewise. Thanks so much, Nicole. Thanks for joining us at At The Whiteboard. We've had an amazing time with you here today. If you want to keep up to date with everything that At The Whiteboard podcast is doing, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Whiteboard Consult or on our website at www.whiteboardconsulting.ca. Talk soon.